Chapter 34 Do you want some tea? I can make you some tea, Silverbell asked Harry Horton Cove, but at first he gave no answer. They had migrated down to the living room, a thin layer of dust covering every surface, including the opposing couches that they were sitting on. At first, her question seemed to be a request in the most foreign of languages, as he stared at her blankly, only really looking at her with one of his glassy eyes. Silverbell didn't realize that it was customary for the host to offer the guest refreshment, and not vice versa. And perhaps that was why Cove stayed silent for so long. Maybe somewhere in his mind, he was digging around in the anticipated intricacies of etiquette, but it's really rather hard to know what Harry Horton Cove was thinking, for he didn't quite know himself. All right. He finally answered, allowing the guests to offer the host a refreshment. Silverbell gave a smile for politeness' sake, and standing up, strode into the kitchen with too much confidence for a girl who had spent too little time in such a place. It took her all of ten seconds to march confidently back into the living room. I do not know how to make tea, she stated plainly. I do. Harry Horton Cove seemed almost surprised at his own words, as if he himself had not known what he was capable of. Well, great. Let's get to getting. Silverbell gestured for him to join her, and then, after a moment's hesitation, he did. You just have to find the kettle and fill, fill it with wa water and heat the water on the stove. He did all three steps with a strange hypnotic-like motion, shuffling around the cramped little kitchen as if the making of tea was in his bones, but not quite at the forefront of his mind. At least that's still the same. Cove sighed quietly to himself, staring at the kettle closely for any signs of bubbling or boiling. The world's a lot different than it once was, huh? Silverbell was also staring at the kettle, part of her too unnerved to look straight at Cove, but also she just kind of wanted to learn how to make tea. Very. He confirmed what she already knew. There was a long pause between Silverbell and Cove as they both watched the pot. But Silverbell had once heard that a watched pot never boils, and so she found the bravery to look at him. Why have you been trying to kidnap me? Silverbell couldn't think of anything else to talk about other than the obvious, and so she decided to talk about the obvious. I wasn't trying to kidnap you. Cove bristled, shook almost, but not with anger. No, that wasn't anger in his wide eyes or in his clutched fingers and tensed arms. That was fear. Silverbell had seen such a thing once before, knew such a face well, but she couldn't remember where, couldn't quite remember who had been afraid. Right, you were trying to listen. Silverbell remembered something strange he had once said amongst all the other strange things he had said. You weren't doing a very good job, she felt it was necessary to point out. I had to find you. I had to find you, and I, I had to keep you. That's what I had to do. Find you and keep you. Find you and keep you. He wasn't talking to her, but to the floor, and then the ceiling, and then the door behind him, never keeping his focus in one place for too long. Why? She made sure to speak gently, to speak kindly, for this seemed the only right thing to do. Because... Cove turned back to her with a swift movement that might have made her jump back in terror if she was not so brave. But Silverbell stood still, and Silverbell listened. Her bravery seemed to calm him. And slowly, the tension relaxed in his shoulders, and he allowed himself a moment to think. Because there's a danger coming. I hate to break it to you, but the danger's already here. Silverbell groaned. 
There were enough green-clad officers and green-printed posters and green government boards to prove that. Did I fail? Cove gasped, his words a whisper, the wind of surprise making him breathless. I don't know. What were you supposed to do? He didn't seem to like this question, for immediately he furrowed his brow and huffed a great breath and grit his teeth with the greatest concentration. I don't know. But, but, but I do. He instantly contradicted himself as he took up pacing in the narrow kitchen walkway. I, I know what I was supposed to do, um, but it's impossible. And you can't do things that are impossible. But it wasn't always impossible. So, so I have to know. The whistle of the kettle shocked him as instinctively Cove recoiled back against the door, staring down the enemy of stainless steel with narrowed eyes. I don't know, but I don't know. He shouted over the noise until angrily he marched over to the kettle and pulled it from the stovetop, silencing its cry. Harry, why are you getting angry? Before, this is where she would have run away. This is where she would have let the screaming voice fade behind her as she ran towards something else. But there was nothing else now. This was where she was supposed to be. Why shouldn't I be when everything is so confusing? He was staring at the tea kettle, waiting for it to betray him too. Because I'm going to listen to every word you say, Silverbell Smith promised him. And I'm going to believe you. There was a hush over the room, the whistle of the teapot gone, the anger evaporated into the air. Methodically, Harry raised his head and looked at the cupboard just at his eyeline. You pour it in the teacup, then you put the tea bag in. With care, he opened the cabinet door and brought out two floral teacups with saucers. And to each he poured the water, and to each he placed a tea bag, and to each he gave much care. And then you choose milk or sugar? Or both, I, I guess. I'm twelve, Silverbell reminded him. I choose sugar. Cove offered a pleasant little smile, and then pleasantly placed two sugar cubes into each of their cups, quite pleased indeed with his work. I am supposed to find the instruments and keep them safe. It was the first truly coherent thing Cove had said all day, and the first thing he seemed to even believe. Carefully, he lifted one of the saucers and graciously handed it to Silverbell, who graciously took it, and graciously, she listened on. I said I wanted to help, and, and Cadence told me to do that. Cadence? Silverbell gasped. Poem's mother. She was surprised when she managed to remember something, when everything else seemed so broken in her mind. How do you know Poem's mom? Cadence? Cove's eyes went all glassy again. Oh no, Cadence is in danger. There's danger coming. I, I have to find her and, and warn her. Immediately, he turned on his heels and hurled himself out of the kitchen door, letting his teacup fall from his hand and shatter to the floor. Whoa! No, wait! Silverbell hopped over the shattered shards of porcelain and hurried after him into the living room. Stop! Harry, wait! He stopped before he could make it to the front door. But she's in danger. He whispered to her. No! Harry. Silverbell paused, and he paused with her. The danger is... How could she bear to break it to him again? The danger's already here. Thankfully, he remembered. Did I fail? You tell me. Silverbell held out her own cup of tea that she had managed to keep steady even in their little chase. Here, take mine. Again, Cove smiled and, crossing to her, accepted the tea that he had made and, with a joyful plop, sat down on the sofa to enjoy it. Where 
Where is that sheet music you stole from me? Cove perked up after only one sip of tea, and now it was Silverbell's turn to be confused as she took her own seat opposite of him. I don't know. I guess, I guess I lost it. It didn't seem like something she would do, especially with something that seemed so important. But although she could remember stealing it, and although she could remember reading it, she couldn't remember where it had ended up, or even where she might have hoped it would lead. But that didn't matter. She wasn't supposed to be wherever the paper was. She was supposed to be here. Oh, what a shame. Cove slumped down into the back of his chair, blowing across his tea. I was supposed to give that to someone if they came looking for it. Who? There were answers to be had, Silverbell found. They were just going to take a little patience to get to. I don't know. Someone who doesn't exist. He grew defeated. Some ones who don't exist. Cadence gave it to you? I wanted to help. He blew across the tea again, the steam swirling away from him as his memories swirled back towards him. She was the only one who let me help. The only who? Silverbell leaned in, as if being closer could help her hear his thoughts. The only music maker. He paused, his expression growing nervous, his grip on the teacup growing so tight Silverbell feared he was about to break this one too. You do know what a music maker is, right? Or did I just dream that up? Cove again began to recoil into the back of the sofa, perhaps trying to disappear. Oh, I do. I know very well. This seemed to calm Cove, as the way only the truth can. Why was she the only music maker who wanted your help, Harry? What a silly thing, thought Silverbell to herself. Rejecting help when it's offered? Rejecting a friend when you need one? Who would want my help? They had magic. I had nothing. They had music. I was the son of a silencer. Every word he said came out slower than the one before. His own past, a brand new discovery. His own story, a new truth. No, an old truth. But for so long forgotten. For so long fractured. Now it was his turn to lean forward, this time leaving his teacup on the seat beside him. The music makers have too much power. At first, Silverbow shuddered at his shout, but when he spoke again, she realized it was only a show. The music makers are going to corrupt our children. It was an imitation, a mockery of what once was. With exaggerated expressions and sporadic steps, he bounded back and forth before her, bringing the past to life. We have to get rid of the music makers before they get rid of us. He held his nose and his head and his hand high, this character the loudest, the cruelest, the most radical of them all. He was just jealous because they could make music. I was jealous too, but I, I didn't want to hurt them. And just like that, he was Harry Horton Cove again, small and unsure. I wanted to help them, but they didn't want my help. His heart broke before Silverbell's eyes, and she could only wonder how often... How many times a day? How many times a second? He relived such a feeling. Cadence did, Silverbell reminded him eagerly, wanting to help, wanting him to want to be helped. Cove began to nod, the reminder much needed. Cadence told me to find the instruments. Cadence told me to find the instruments. Cadence told me to find the instruments. And just like that, he was on a crusade, marching off once again, but this time not for the front door. Quickly, Silverbell kept pace as he lunged his way up the stairs of the small squat house, 
taking three steps at a time with his gangly, agile legs. Uh, Cadence told me to find the instruments. Cadence told me to find the instruments. He burst into the office of instruments and manically began to check his collection. Accordion, oboe, guitar, lute, trombone, uh, trumpet, cello, bass. A cello? A bass? The word struck out at Silverbell's heart, and for a moment she felt nauseous, seasick in the waves of life. What did Cadence want you to do with these? Silverbell looked at him, and all he had found, just as he had been told to do. Save them, keep them, save them. He paused and looked back to the opposite wall and began to inspect the instruments over there. My father was going to destroy them, but couldn't. I took them. He couldn't destroy them if he didn't find them, and he can't find them if they're with me. Why wouldn't he think to look with you? If she were an evil person who had lost all the musical instruments she was hoping to destroy, she would have at least thought to look in her own house. He doesn't think about me. Cove stopped checking his collection to say this, to remember this. I'm not very important. Yes, you are. This was easy for Silverbell to refute, for the proof was all around her. Look at all these instruments you saved. She looked upon the room reverently, wishing there was someone here to play them, wishing there was music here to hear. I can't find the flute. Cove gasped as he dove into one of the heavy wooden trunks he kept handy. I can't find the flute. (laughs) Again, he paused as he switched over to another trunk. But I I have found it. I I found it. It was in my hands. He looked up. He looked down. He looked all around. But I haven't. I have never found it. I've never looked and I've looked, but I've never found it. Slam. He shut the first trunk. Slam. He shut the second. But I have. This, he whispered, whimpered, as all hope was lost. I, I know it wasn't a dream. It was real. But it couldn't have been because music isn't real. In a mighty roar, Cove let out his frustration and his fear and his forgetfulness, fighting against the universe with just his voice. How can I be certain something is true, but the world is certain that it is false? How can I believe what I believe if what I believe is not believed? It's enough to drive a man mad. All Silverbell Smith had left for Harry Horton Cove was empathy. And so empathy was what she would give. You can prove to yourself music is real, you know? You can prove it right here, right now. How? All hope was gone for Harry Horton Cove, who spoke so softly and hung his head so low. You just have to play some. She pointed out obviously. You're surrounded by instruments. You're surrounded by music. Oh, I can't. I've tried, but I can't. He looked at the room through the corner of his eye with disdain. Then I'll teach you, Silverbell decided, as she slung off her backpack, then slung open her satchel, and then slowly and surely pulled the violin and bow into the light of day. What do I do? Cove was looking at her now. No, not her, but her violin and bow, both afraid and in awe, inspired and in paralysis. Well, first, you take the violin and put it on your shoulder. In shaking hands and with shaking breaths, the man took the violin being offered to him and then did just as he was told. Harry Horton Cove put the violin on his shoulder. Then hold the bow, not like that. Thumb goes in between the frog and the winding, and pinky finger should rest gently on the end there. He adjusted his fingers, then adjusted his bow, 
and then adjusted his eyes back to her. Now stand up. Good posture. Feel the weight of the earth beneath you. Now, you're going to want to pull your bow straight from the tip to the frog across that third string there. Light pressure on the bottom, more pressure on the top. Cove bit his lip as he stared at the third string with wild eyes, as though the instrument were on fire, and his soul as well. Now, play. Play? Cove could not believe it. Play, commanded Silverbell, for she believed enough for both of them. And so, with a steady weight from tip to frog across the third string, with good posture so that he could feel the weight of the earth beneath his feet, with his thumb between the frog and the winding, and his pinky finger resting gently on the end, Harry Horton Cove made a rough and almost beautiful sound. Even and light, happy and bright, he did everything just perfect and right. And the instrument rewarded him with a little spark of magic. I did it. Cove's voice was quieter than moonlight as the orange sparkle twinkled from the bridge right before his face, reflecting the glitter of tears in his eyes, just about to fall. You did it, Silverbell confirmed. And this isn't a dream. I made music, Harry Horton Cove whispered to himself, and to her, and to the room of instruments. Yes, he had made music, and Silverbell Smith had taught him how. <laughs>